really funny, that's crazy, or there's maybe, there's maybe a couple of you in here going, do they have one of those in Nashville? <laughs> you know? Because we all, in many ways and in different ways and different times, experience and have and walk with anger. And it, it is absolutely, without question, radically prevalent in the culture that we're living in today. I mean, anger is a thing. I'd love for, I mean, the truth is, I'd love for us to think that we could watch the news just because we're trying to get information, but can we be honest? Uh, the, news, uh, the news stations are just peddling anger. They're just peddling anger. They're trying to tap into something that gets your blood boiling. And, and whether you go to CNN or Fox News describes whatever you're ready to get angry about. But the truth is, they're peddling anger. I mean, you can't watch anything without it trying to inflame anger and frustration. It happens all the time. Pundits going back and forth, shooting barbs at each other, trying to amp people up. In fact, I was, uh, we uh, were talking with a, a guy who speaks. He's an incredible Christian man. He's an author, and he was talking about it. Uh, he's often on or interviewed um, in those same kind of news settings by Fox News or CNN or whatever. And he was talking about it and he said, uh, these guys will get together uh, and they'll be talking about hanging out with each other and they'll be talking about each other's families. When the cameras come on, they're lit into each other. The cameras go off and then they're walking off like they're buddies. The news is peddling anger all the time and we see it constantly. And if you're on social media at all. What comes across over and over and over and over again is anger. You see it all the time. In fact, one of the most uh, recent studies found that anger is the most common and it's the most influential emotion in online interaction. There's an article. I'm going to read just a portion of this article to you just because I want you to hear this. article says, there are many reasons why raging at a computer screen comes more naturally than raging at someone's face. Relative anonymity, a lack of authority and consequences. A syllopsistic interjection, I really have to work on saying that word, interjection. What it is is a theory that subconsciously talking on a computer can seem more like we're talking to ourselves than to real people. Herein lies one of the most troublesome issues with Social media, it's very difficult to link words on a screen with the reality that there's a living, breathing human on the other end of the connection. Amplify that to thousands of second and third hand connections and huge numbers of people can be profoundly affected by seemingly innocent keystrokes. Almost makes you angry enough to tweet, right? I mean, the article is pointing to the fact that for some reason it makes it, by the distance of a screen, we think we can get on there and rant about the craziest things all the time, but it's happening constantly. You know it. You've seen it. You might have even been a part of it. It happens all the time. You can't read a headline. Now that isn't displaying this problem that we have, you've seen road rage incidents. You'll see murders simply because of disagreements. We hear about bullying that's happening all the time in schools and in workplaces where there's people just angry and coming against uh, other people. There's a, a news story every week. The news story is not about news. It's actually about anger and how it's manifesting in our culture. And what's even crazier 
is the fact that we live in the most prosperous time in the history of human civilization. People have more things. They have more amenities to their lives. They have higher incomes than any humans have ever happened. And guess what? The issue is not getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. We don't find that as we get more and we have increase and as we can acquire more things that the anger is going away. That's not fixing it. The answer is not out there. With all the prosperity in our economics, it has not lessened our anger. If you, got, if you came in, you got a worship guide. If you want to follow along, you can follow along. There's a set of notes. You can fill out notes if you want to. So if we're not careful, what we can tend to do is we go, yeah, you know, I know anger's a thing, but it's just kind of an everybody thing. I mean, everybody gets angry. That's just kind of a normal thing. It's part of our culture. We just go, hey, it's, it's no big deal. It's not that big of an issue. But we know that every person is dealing with this in some way. Everybody's had to wrestle with it. Everybody has to. In fact, one study says that the average woman loses her temper three times a week. Three times a week. And everybody's calculating. Is that, am I above or below? Am I, am I pulling the average up? Or? So if you think now, if you think women on average lose their temper three times a week, how many times do you think men lose their temper on average a week? It depends on if the men are, or the women are answering this question, right? They're like going, the women are like, 12. No, it's not 12. But it is six. It's double that. The average dude is blowing up or losing his temper six times a week. That's happening. I'm trying to think. I don't know where I'm at on that scale. But I, I'm, I know that it's an issue. Uh, interesting, it says that single adults struggle with it twice as much as married people. And I don't, I don't know how that works. I wouldn't have guessed that, but that's just, I'm going on the study. You're, they're going, I know, we know why. They're angry because they think they want to be married, and then they get into marriage, and they're like, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I can't be angry. <laughs> it's, uh, this study has identified 51 illnesses that can be had from just having an excess of emotion in anger, the excess of anger in you. 51 different illnesses they've attributed that can be caused by anger. And so we all know anger. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. And we tend to think, you know, it's just kind of normal. This is what is happening out in the culture around us. This is what's going on. It's just a, you know, hey, anger's a thing. No big deal. Just deal, honestly, just deal with it. But the truth is, more than likely, that anger has an effect on someone else. It is. It's not just a thing out there. It's making its mark either on you or on the people around you in some way, form, or fashion. And because this is so entrenched in the human spirit, Jesus actually has something to say about it. He has things that he wants to impart. And so what I want you to do, grab your Bibles Go to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you need to have one uh, so that you can follow along. If you don't have one in the pew back in front of you, there's one close to you. Grab a phone, whatever it is, however you can. I want you to be able to follow along this scripture so you can see these words for yourself. Matthew chapter 5, if you have one of those black Bibles, I believe it's going to be on page 810. Matthew 5. Jesus knows that this anger thing is an issue. And, and what we're saying here is not just an emotional thing, but there is... Uh, a physical ramification for anger going on in us as well. Matthew chapter 5, 
Jesus addresses this issue when he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, just hang tight right there. Everybody's good with this, right? Because nobody has a problem with this. When we think about the Ten Commandments, nobody has an issue with thou shalt not murder. That's kind of one of the big ones, okay? All right, honor the Sabbath, eh, right? Don't lie. Well, eh, as long as I'm comfortable. But, you know, when it comes to murder, everybody's kind of like, yeah, good. That's a, that's a good rule. So we all agree on this one now. But look at what Jesus says, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So here's the link. Same words. Mur- says it for murder. Now he says it for anger. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, Jesus, we're tracking with him for a moment. Yeah, we get, we understand the murder thing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus grabs this thing and he says, listen to me. I'm linking these things together. I'm pulling these things. I'm putting it on the same level. This idea of here uh, holding grudges, having grudges against each other, screaming at others, insults. You can say that's just real life. That's just, you know, that's how life is. That, or there's maybe that general anger that we have, right? There, where, you know, you're driving up 65 at 7 a.m. and then there's a wreck and, and you're stuck there and you're just going, well, what am I supposed to feel? I mean, am I supposed to sing, you know, what is that bluebird song? Zippity-doo-dah, that song, that's the one. Yeah, am I, is that what I'm supposed to sing? Am I supposed to be okay with this? I feel angry about that. But Jesus is going, listen, He's taking this thing, and in many ways, he's putting it on the same level as murder. Here's what he's doing. Jesus is always going at the heart level. Always. In fact, what they found is that the religious leaders of the day were always kind of looking at the actions, the outward actions, and saying, are your outward actions lining up with good things? Are your outward actions lining up with good things? And Jesus says, I'm not even caring about the outward actions. I'm looking into the heart. I care about what's going on internally before it ever comes out externally. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not okay with this. He connects anger and murder. He's going, listen, I want you to know anger is a big deal. Anger is a big deal. It's not a small thing. There's something that I want to do in you. Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus isn't out to condemn because every one of us have experienced anger in differing levels. He's not out to judge. He understands the frailty. He understands weakness. Hebrews chapter 4. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Meaning, Jesus knows weakness. He knows the propensity to lose the temper. He knows our propensity and our weakness, our frailty. He understands that he's aware of it. He just knows that we're not okay And he's okay that we're not okay, but he's not okay with us staying that way. He's ready to move us toward life in him. He's going, listen, there's something better in life. I have a better life for you. When Jesus is addressing the issue of anger, he isn't just uh, saying, hey, you need to get rid of this thing. What he's saying is, I have life for you. I have a better way to operate. There's a way. 
There's a better life than screaming at your TV or ranting at somebody over the internet or constantly being anger, angry on the inside that messes with your, even your physical body. And he's calling us up to this place. And he's saying, listen, you don't have to live this way. I said this last week, but anytime that Jesus gives a command, what he's, going, what he's saying is, listen, I care about you and I have something better for you. Are you willing to make the exchange? Are you willing to look at this and make this exchange? God wants to decrease sinful anger out of our lives. We're in this series called Less is More, where God increases and we decrease. And we've been saying that through this whole way. And what God's saying is, listen, I'm here and I want to decrease this thing in you. I want to pull this thing out of you. I want to pull it back. But I say sinful anger because we have to make a distinction, right? Because there's two kinds of anger. There's sinful anger in our lives and then there's righteous anger. There's sinful anger and there's righteous anger because let's be honest, there's some things that it's okay to be angry with. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. My favorite songs of all time. So good friends uh, of mine, one of good friends wrote, they wrote up an entire album based on the Psalms and this, this particular Psalm. And uh, it's one of the most powerful, you know, songs that it says that the Lord is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And there, I, I feel like I've sung that a, a thousand times, slow to anger, uh, abounding in love. That's who he is, slow to anger. But guess what? God does have anger. He does have a little bit. It doesn't mean he is angry, but he can have anger. It means he's slow to it. He's not quick to it. And the question, of course, is what is God angry at? God's angry at one thing, anything that separates you and I from him. It's called sin. Now, I want you to hear this. God isn't angry with you. God is angry and hates sin that separates us from him, and he's out to kill it. He's out to kill it. He's angered by it because it's what keeps you and I from experiencing the life that he has for us. But God is out to get this stuff. You know, I think too often what happens, we, <clears throat> we wrestle with something, we wrestle with our own brokenness, and there's a, what we often experience is, you know, that brokenness happens, and then there's a lull, and we don't, we don't feel or sense the anger of the Lord, and what we're seeing is that God's slow to anger, meaning we expect maybe the big thump right after we find ourselves struggling with brokenness, and God's like, that's not how I operate. I have things that I want to say. I'm going to call you back to me. Slow to anger. Mark chapter 3, Jesus, uh, it says, Jesus looked around with, uh, at them with what? With anger. He's looking around at the people. He's looking around at religious leaders, actually. Grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. They were fussing about whether or not it was lawful for Jesus to heal people on the Sabbath, as if that were doing work. And he was looking at that kind of, that thing separating people from him. And Jesus saw it, and he was, he was angry. It was right for him to be angry with it. He got angry, but he was without sin. It means that all anger is 
not necessarily sin. But here's the instruction to us, Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what it says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So hear, hear what the apostle is saying. There's stuff in life that's worth being angry about. We can't sugarcoat this thing and say, hey, you need, need to never be angry. You need to walk around in white robes and like you need to sing at a really high pitch or whatever, wherever you go. That's, these, these are the pictures that we often get when we think about what it means to try to walk in holiness. And in fact, God is the holy, holiest of holies. He is holy. Uh, but he's looking at things that are broken. And it's okay for there to be things in our life that we might be angry about. It's just that it doesn't get to consume us. Be angry and do not sin. There's stuff in this world. Modern day slavery should make us angry. All right? The murdering of unborn children should make us angry. Right? Evil dictators stomping on their people should make us angry. Right? The difference is the fuel for that anger is not anger itself. It's love. What God gets angry about or what's okay to be angry about are the things where we see love being uh, squelched. That where, where love motivates our hearts towards people, towards the downtrodden, towards those that are uh, being held captive. That's the difference. There's a different fuel. If anger is fueling you, then this is where it becomes wrapped up in sin. That's what the apostle's trying to say. What's the fuel inside of you? What motivates you to whatever is unjust? If it's just latent anger, let me tell you something. That leads to a, a path of brokenness. If anger takes its root in us, it'll rule our thoughts, our ideas, the way that we see the world. And worse... If you'll look at the scripture, it actually opens a door to the enemy in our lives. If you'll look back at it, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why give no opportunity to the devil? Here's what it's saying is if you choose to stew in anger, it's an open door. You're asking for access of the enemy to come and to begin to rule the way that you see life. There's things that it's okay to be upset about. It's just not okay to stay in that place. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then what does it say? Slow to anger, just like God. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This thing isn't producing anything. He says... Essentially, he's saying, listen, you can be angry, but what's it doing for you? Where is it getting you? What is it accomplishing in you? Where is it taking you? If anger can drive you, then where is it trying to take you? And, and this is where James is saying, be slow to anger. And so the question ultimately becomes, then what do we do with it? When we experience anger, we see something that we believe to be unjust, right? That's where anger comes from. We see something that's unjust, whether it is or isn't. We view it as unjust, and something inside of us wells up 
The question is, what do we do with that in that moment? Be angry and do not sin. Then how do we go about that process? The answer is, I'll say first, we got to recognize that our words matter. You and I have an emotion that wells up inside of us. Often the first thing we think to do is to say it out loud. Right? You've got something churning inside of you. You're driving down the road. This is probably where I get into a little bit of a pastor confession time because if I don't preach a little bit honest here, my wife's going to get me. Because I, I, I can be a little bit of a road rager. Okay? You see something and you think, I'm never going to see that person again. And so I have a few choice words that I'd like to express. And if the family's in the car, it's under my breath. And then I bet my wife's still like, are you a pastor or do you need God in some way? Like, because you feel anger, all right? The emotion comes up. And when the words come out, words have meaning. They mean something. It's easy to think, listen, no one's hearing me what I'm saying here. I'm ranting and raving. I'm, I'm, this is probably what more often happens. I'm with a close friend, and so I think I can just let it fly about that person over there. And they're not hearing my words. I'm just saying it to a confidant. But the truth is, is you're spewing out stuff, and it has power. In fact, the scripture says, Proverbs chapter 18, the tongue has the power of life and death. Essentially, whoever came up with the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, garbage. Pitch that one out. Doesn't work. In words is life and death. So when the emotion rises up, the question is, is what are you speaking? What's coming out? I believe very much that whatever words we allow to come out, that our spirit, our soul is lining up with. And I've had to be reprimanded by not only my wife, but by the Lord many a time because I feel my frustration bubbling up and it's not okay. It's not okay. Words are important. We have to think about what we're saying. We have to because Jesus cares. In fact, we have to begin to see people the way that God sees people. And this is maybe the hardest part. If you find yourself frustrated, angry, be boiling on the inside, we have to begin to see people the way God sees them. See, when we lash out at somebody, we call them names or contradict, what we're doing is we're contradicting what God says about them. In essence, we're calling God a liar. I want you to just think about that for a moment because that's a weighty thought. But when you and I spew venom about somebody or we throw out barbs about who they are, we start saying broken things about them. Can I tell you something? That's not what God wants to say about them. That's not what God says about them. That's not his heart for them. So at that point, you and I are in direct opposition to what God says about who they are. Now, they may have a whole bunch of attitudes and things that need to be changed and transformed in their lives. But church, God loves their heart and wants to see them come into his kingdom, come into a deep knowledge of who he is. He wants to edit this thing, to decrease this thing in us. 
I don't want to be in direct opposition to what God has to say. So we got to think about our words to people. And we have to think about what God thinks about them. It doesn't matter what they've done. Jesus died for them. Jesus wants them to know him and to be with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Called to see people as God sees them. Even our enemies, which seems impossible, except for that's the exact thing. That's the exact thing that Jesus asks us to do. Even your enemies speak life. Doesn't it say that? Speak life. Speak truth. Listen, we're all going to go through circumstances where somebody is going to wound you or hurt you. This is, this is life. This is real life. It's going to happen. There's no question about it. At some point, in fact, you may need to even confront evil being done to you. You may need to actually confront where you've been wounded before, you've been hurt. Maybe even oppose them for the sake of righteousness based on what the issue is. But we do not do it because we've lost control. We do it by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And those are two totally different things. I want you to hear this. There's going to be injustice against us. There may come a moment where we need to say something, but it doesn't get to come out because of a flare-up of anger inside of us. It has to be wrought by the Holy Spirit in us. It's okay to take on injustice. It's not okay to do it in the flesh. That's what Jesus is trying to talk about. There's a better way to handle the emotion. There's a better way to deal with what you're walking through. The Holy Spirit's got to be the one that's leading this thing out. Or will we trust him in it? If you look back at verse 24, this thing is so important. Loving people, mending relationships, letting go of sinful anger. It's actually more important than even what we did here this morning. You look back at that text, it says, listen, if you've come before with your, uh, your sacrifice, you're coming before the altar with your gift. It's, it's, they were coming to the temple. Coming to, honor, to worship God, to bring their offering to the Lord. And he says, before you come and do that, set that thing down. Go to your brother and get this thing mended. Deal with this thing internally. Be reconciled and then come back. For Jesus to say that, here, so, so, he's, he's getting so real, right? God is so real. God gets into the nitty-gritty stuff. He isn't sitting there in a cloud on the distance. He's going, listen, I'm right here in this moment, and you can sit there and lift your voice to me, but I know you're broken on the inside. Go and be reconciled. Take this thing. Don't let anger rule you before you come into this place so that your heart is free to lift my name up and to walk with me. Listen, you and I don't have to hold on to hurts. We don't have to continue to be under... Uh, abuse or uh, neglect or those, those are all kinds of things. What he's saying is this. Don't let anger be ruling you. You're going to walk through a lot of circumstances. Don't let anger have control. Let the Holy Spirit have control. And he, he asked that because this is what he does with us, right? What is the gospel? When we were still sinners... 
Christ died for us. And he gave us his life. While we were still a mess, being angry and holding a grudge, it's inconsistent with how God's treated us. Being angry, holding a grudge, is the total opposite of what God has done for us. We've offended him many times. I've offended God more times than I could ever count in this lifetime. He doesn't treat me broken. He loves me back into a place of rightness with him. It's what he wants to do. So we're going to take a moment and just do a quick inventory. And so if you can put your stuff down, if you want, maybe put your notes down. And if it's helpful for you, maybe just close your eyes. Just to, if you can let things wash off for just a minute. And, and this is just a, a moment for you just to take an inventory with the Lord and first ask the question. Lord, is there any place in my life that anger is ruling me? Just, would you just be willing to ask him that? Is there, is there any place? It might not even be on the forefront of your mind. Just but you just sense that anger has been driving you, not the Spirit of God. read the book, um, just stay in this place as you're talking to the Lord. I read the book called Unbroken. It's a powerful book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to get it. But the short of it is it's a story of a young man who was in World War II, was shipwrecked at sea, was afloat for, in a raft for something like 43 days. During that time, he said, God, if you'll save us, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. That raft ends up on the shore of the enemy. The Japanese, they take him in. And he goes through the most vicious assault and beating you could possibly imagine. With words I could not describe in this room. Essentially left to die. He somehow made it out. At the end of the war, he's able to go home and finds a wife and he gets married. But he, what he finds in him is deep, deep anger. Rage against those that had wounded him. Rage against those that had abused him. Mocked him. So much so he couldn't sleep at night. He started to drink. He became an alcoholic. Volatile towards his wife. Kids. Comes to a place where he's broken and ready to end his life. His marriage is falling apart. And his wife keeps bugging him to go to this, hear this preacher called Billy Graham. 
new young preacher guy who was preaching in a tent. He had no desire, so consumed with anger. And he goes one night. He can't stand what he's hearing about forgiveness because he's so enraged. He gets up to leave, and as he turns to go away, by the grace of God, God pulls him, and he turns toward the altar, walks to the altar, comes before God, and in that moment, life is radically transformed by the forgiveness of God. The power to his story is that that moment and that season of his life, he released his anger and he forgave every last one of those guards that abused him. Changed and transformed his life. He began to give his life, he gave his life to the Lord. He ran camps for kids to know the Lord, to have mentors. Life was radically transformed because he was willing just to let go. And so the question for you this morning is, are you willing to let go? To make the exchange. Less of me and more of you, God. I make the exchange. I'm not going to be ruled by anger. I want to be ruled by the Holy Spirit. Would you make that declaration to him? God, we ask right now, would you come into this place? And would you give us life and power? Power to release anger and to walk with you. Power to walk away from a place of being embittered and able to say yes to the life that you have for us. To trust you're the one who judges. You're the one who is able. You're the one who does victory. You're the one who brings justice. I give my life to you. And you might find yourself, you've been running 100 miles an hour away from the Lord. And today the Lord's just saying, listen, you don't have to do that. I'm right here. Make that exchange, make that turn. Father, would you reveal to us your goodness, your good heart, your kindness. Would you make us like you? Would you remove anger from us? We confess it before you. Or would you make us slow to anger but abounding in love? We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to make this exchange. Lead us this week. Whatever way we might be tempted. In fact, you might just ask him, any way that I might be tempted in the next few days to operate with an attitude or a spirit of anger towards someone or some group or something. Lord, would you change? Would you make the exchange with me? We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to close with our benediction. Before we go, uh, uh, as you guys, many of you know, for those of you that have been with the church for a while, um, uh, Megan and I came from an amazing church uh, in Abilene, Texas. We were there for 13 years, and then God called us to be here uh, with you guys. And uh, Jeremy and Crystal uh, also came from that same church, and God uh, brought them here. That church has not only been a significant part of our lives, but 
the leadership of that church so believes in this church and what God is doing here that they have sent us with tremendous blessing uh, and ha- they continue to invest in us. They've, uh, they've invested in our church in prayer. They've invested in our church in uh, 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 watching over us and giving covering, but they also have uh, invested in our church financially. Uh, and they've just been so faithful to believe in what God is doing here. It's been such a tremendous honor to have just a, a, another part of the family out there encouraging us and blessing us and cheering, honestly, cheering for us. And so um, one of uh, our good friends, a longtime friend of ours, but also one of the elders from that church is here with us. Uh, his name's Randy Turner. And, uh, and I just wanted him uh, as, honestly, a, a sister congregation, uh, as um, uh, another part of the family that um, is going after the same thing. I just wanted him to be able to pray the benediction and blessing over us before we go. And so uh, would you guys just help me say thank you and welcome to Randy Turner. Randy, come on up. If I may, I want to share something really quick, and I do know, especially given that Papa Don is in the room, I know I'm taking this scripture that is referencing um, Isaiah 60, and it's referencing the Israelite people. But I believe today, last night as I was asking the Lord, would you give me something for New River tomorrow? There was a Isaiah 60, uh, just was studying it and reading that, and I believe that there is an application for you today. So I want to share this with you. The word says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. What we see here in Isaiah 60 is the focus is on the Lord. The focus is on lifting high his name. And when we give honor to the Lord, when we give honor to the king, then his glory comes, his presence comes and rests in that place. And that's what we see in Isaiah 60. And then it says that as this glory comes, it says the nations come. What happens is that as people see the glory of the Lord, as they see the presence of the Lord, then those that have been walking in darkness come. And I believe that that is a, that application applies to New River, that as you begin and continue in this place of lifting high the name of Jesus, and as you continue honoring him and creating this atmosphere where the glory of the Lord can come and rest, where the presence of the Lord can come and rest in this place, what you will see is those outside these walls that are in darkness will come. So I just want to bless you with that today. If you will, just put your hands in front of you if you're comfortable with that, just to receive the blessing of the Lord. And I'm going to add actually to this today, just out of Isaiah 60. Arise, New Year Fellowship. New River Fellowship. My bad for saying that wrong. Arise, New River Fellowship. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. The Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We pray in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Blessings on you. We will see you uh, next week.